Welcome to the Bible Preaching and Teaching Ministry of Dr. Douglas D. Stauffer. Dr. Stauffer currently serves as President of Key of Knowledge Ministries. He has thousands of hours teaching experience, 10 years serving in pastoral ministries, and has authored several books. One of Dr. Stauffer's most recent projects included his participation as consulting editor for Oxford University Press. He has also been the featured speaker on national and international radio broadcasts dozens of times. If you are interested in these or similar materials, you can contact us at www.mccowanmills.com. Let's look at some issues about salvation. And uh, I'm going to read some material to you because I, I think that Salvation is so misunderstood in today's society. As I said, I always start off with this verse, Psalm 12, verse 6. The words of the Lord are pure words. As silver tried in the first of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. So the Bible has a supernatural promise of preservation when the book of Psalms was written, which was written many years B.C., before Christ, and it had a promise that God would preserve His Word from that generation in every generation forever. As we look at the NIV, and the words of the Lord are flawless, like silver refined in the furnace of clay, purified seven times. O Lord, You will keep us safe and protect us from such people forever. And again, it does not say the same thing. So we want to look at the King James Bible versus the modern versions concerning salvation. The first thing we need to understand about salvation is why Christ became a man. You realize you've got God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God in the person of the Son of God became a man. He took upon Himself the form of human flesh because God required a perfect sacrifice. A perfect sacrifice, no matter how pure the animal was in the Old Testament, you know, no matter whether it had no blemishes, it was never enough to take away sin forever. I mean, to completely cleanse the person. The Bible says if it could have done that, then the conscience would have been clear and there had been no more need for sacrifice. But yet they had to bring sacrifice year after year after year, so there was nothing that could completely take away sin. Well, Christ came to take away sin. He was the Lamb of God, the Bible says. John says, Behold, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. So Christ came to save the lost. Or so we're told in the Bible. In Luke 9.55, the Bible says, But He turned and rebuked them and said, Ye know not what manner of spirit ye of. For the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. So Christ said He came not to destroy lives, but to save them. You read the NIV in Luke 9:55, and most any modern version you can read, it says, but Jesus turned and rebuked them, and they went to another village. No longer are you told the purpose for Jesus Christ becoming a man. He didn't come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. In Matthew 18:11, the Bible says, for the Son of Man is come to save that which was lost. Jesus came to save that which was lost. Well, if you read the modern version, you read Matthew 18.10, and then you look for Matthew 18.11, and I have a copy of it right here, you will not find Matthew 18.11 anywhere in it. If you'll turn in, 
in here you'll you go through and there's a place, Matthew 18, 10, and then it goes to 12 and there's no 11. So you are not told why the Son of Man came to save that which was lost. But we know that was the purpose. Jesus didn't come, although He healed the sick, He made the lame uh, to walk, the blind to see, the deaf to hear. He did all those things, but the reason, the purpose that He became a man was to save the lost. That was His sole purpose. You would say, why did He heal? Because when God is around sickness, there can be no sickness. God is around death, there's no death. Because there can't be, when you have the Son of God, God incarnate, everything is pure around Him. It just changes. He just affects everything around Him. So you look at John 6.47. The Bible says that the object of our belief must be on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why John 6.47 says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on Me hath everlasting life. So the Bible says that the object of our belief must be toward Jesus Christ. You can't believe in the baptistry to save you. You can't believe in your works. You cannot believe that you can be good enough to deserve to stand forever in front of a holy, uh, eternal God with your sin. It must be taken care of. Our belief, the Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. The object of our belief, it must be all focused on Him. I can't understand sometimes when I think about it, how people can miss that. How can they miss the fact that it's Jesus, 100% Him? None of it is us. It's not our works. It's not our righteousness. It's His righteousness. I may read you, if we have some time, on what Martin Luther thought about when, when he uh, was struggling. You know, he was a good monk. He was a monk in the Catholic Church, and he just struggled with his sin. He said the more he tried to be good, the more he felt and understood and knew his sinfulness. He said, if I fasted, didn't I, uh, wasn't I proud about that? So even when he tried to do good, his motive was wrong, and therefore he was sinful. And he said, well, the, the righteous judge of the earth is going to judge sin. Martin Luther is sinful. God's going to judge Martin Luther. And that's what he struggled with. And he struggled with it year after year after year. And then when he was teaching the book of Romans and Galatians, God opened up his heart and his mind. He understood salvation by grace. Our belief must be on Him. Well, the modern version deletes that. He says, I tell you the truth, he who believes has everlasting life. It can't be just whoever believes. It can't be just whoever believes whatever. It must be, he that believeth on Me hath everlasting life. We can't let the object of our belief be anything but on Christ. It's not on the church. We have a beautiful church building here. It isn't this building that saves you. It isn't this church that we call it. Because the church is the body of Christ. The church is the people. It's not the building. You can't believe in your religion to save you. It's Jesus Christ and Him alone. In Mark 10.24, the Bible says the disciples were astonished at His words. But Jesus answereth again and saith unto them, Children, how hard it is to them, for them that trust in riches to enter in the kingdom of God. How hard it is for them that do what? Trust in riches. You see, the object of your belief must be Jesus Christ. 
And if you are trusting in anything else to save you, you can not and will not be saved. Why is it hard for a person that uh, trusts in riches? Because, because their material needs are so easily satisfied, they have a hard time comprehending their need for God. They have a hard time comprehending their, 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 the dire consequences of sin because sometimes maybe they've even been able to pay their way out of problems. And that's why the Bible says, children, how hard it is for them that trust in riches. But you know, that's not just a rich person. That's a poor person too. They could be trusting in riches. It doesn't matter what your station in life is. If you're trusting in anything but Jesus Christ and Him alone, you will not be saved. He's it 100%. You say, I just don't understand that. I, I, you just got to be good. Listen, don't get the cart before the horse. You do have to be good. That's why, you're, that's why you get saved. Christ comes in you so you can now live the life, but you can't live the life before He comes in anyway. So how does He come in? Well, I don't want to get the cart before the horse either, so I'll wait to Ephesians chapter 1 to explain that. So what does the Bible say in Mark 10:24? The disciples were amazed at His words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. We're comparing spiritual things with spiritual. We're comparing the King James Bible with the NIV or any modern version. And the modern version takes a simple truth that for them that trust in riches, it's hard. And changes it to making it so that entering the kingdom of God is hard. For us to enter in the kingdom of God, it's very simple. You realize you're a sinner. You realize that Jesus Christ died on the cross of Calvary and paid the penalty for your sin. And you simply trust in Him and Him alone. You say, what about baptism? No, that comes after. What about my works? That's not trusting in Jesus if you're trusting in your works. If you trust in your works that much, and Jesus, 99%, you're not trusting in Jesus. It's a trust in Christ and Him alone. He's the one that, that became sin for us. Who knew no sin that we might be made the rights of God in Him. Here's Ephesians chapter 1, the one I mentioned a moment ago. The Bible says, in whom ye trusted. When did you trust in Christ? It's right there. After ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after ye believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. That is the sequence of events at the moment you get saved. Here it is. In whom ye also trust. Notice it says, in whom. That means you believe on me, the Bible says. Remember John 6, 47, the object of our belief? The object of our belief must be in the person of Jesus Christ, in whom ye also trust. Not what. It's not a what. It's not a thing. It's a person. In whom ye also trusted. When did it happen? After you heard the word of truth. What's the word of truth? The gospel of your salvation. Then here's what happens. In whom also, after you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit promise. That's it. We're all sealed. If you're saved, you're sealed. You, you know, the Bible says you're sealed until the day of redemption. What's the day of redemption? That's the day that your mortal body is redeemed. Our soul and our spirit are redeemed when we're saved, just like that. But our bodies are not redeemed. We're waiting for the redemption of our body. That's why we still sin. That's why we still have struggles in the flesh, because we have the Spirit of God in us, 
going one way, pulling against our flesh, trying to go us the other way, and we've got the world, the flesh, and the devil all going in the same direction. That's why we struggle. But the Bible says we're sealed with the Spirit of God the moment we're saved. What does the NIV say? The NIV says basically this. If you just sit on that pew, you're going to heaven. That's what it says. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth. You're included in Christ simply by hearing what I'm saying right now. What Brother Steve preached this morning, what Brother Eric preached this morning. Just by simply sitting on a pew, you're included in Christ. That's blasphemy. That's wrong. That's why the world's so confused. That's why people are having such a hard time realizing that they're, they have a dire need to accept Christ and make a personal decision for Christ. Because the modern versions now have just muddied the waters. They've not only muddied the waters, but they have just perverted the truth of the Gospel with verses like this. You see, you're to trust in Christ and Him alone. Now, it goes even further when you consider the implications of it. The end times Bibles are the modern versions. The King James Bible's out of vogue. You may, we may stand on it here. And we may believe it's the Word of God. It's perfect without error. It needs no correction. It cannot be corrected. It cannot be perfected because you can't, you can't uh, perfect that which is perfected. But the world doesn't believe that. When you go to the bookstores, what do you see? You see just row and row and row of modern versions. Very few King James Bibles. Why? Because the Word, the word is being taken out of the hearts, out of the minds, out of the homes, out of the churches, out of the bookstores. They don't sell them anymore. They want you to buy a modern version because if you buy one, you may buy another. See, the problem with King James Bible believers is you, you may have a King James Bible till it wears out. Hopefully you wear them out. When you wear them out, you get another one. But you, with an NIV, well, shouldn't, don't you think you need a new American standard? Don't you think you need a living Bible? Don't you think you need today's English version? And they can get you to get all these different versions and they get a whole lot more sales out of modern versions than they do the King James Bible. But the thing is, when you look at this, look at another change that's down here. You know, in the end times, we're going to have uh, people that will take the mark of the beast during the tribulation. And in here it says, in the NIV, it says, The gospel of your salvation, having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. The Bible says that the, the Antichrist, the, 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 the wicked one, the spirit of wickedness, he's going to sit in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. The Bible says all the world's going to wonder after the beast and take his mark, which in Revelation 13 says it's 666. And what does the NIV say? It says, hey, you're included in Christ when you hear the truth, when you hear the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Once you believe, you were marked. Hey, it says the Christians take the mark. The good ones take the mark. That's what the NIV teaches. In Acts chapter 8, verse 36 through 38. In verse 36, we have the Ethiopian eunuch, and Philip joins with him, and it says, And they went on their way, they came into certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? Well, what hinders a person from being baptized? Their belief or lack thereof. 
Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. So he, he believed something about Christ. He believed that He was the Son of God, and He didn't get baptized until that point in time. Then the Bible says He commanded the chariot to stand still. They went down both in the water, both filled the eunuch, and He baptized him. Pretty interesting. I mean, even today in the church, what do we tell people? Well, you've got to trust in Jesus Christ before you can get saved. And that's it. You trust in Christ, you get baptized. And that's how it works. But you don't get baptized preceding your trusting in Christ. In the modern version, if you look for Acts 8.37, it's missing. You have Acts 8.36, 38, verse 37 is missing. Completely removed out of the modern version. 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4, the Gospel. He says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the Gospel uh, which I preached unto you there in verse 1. What's the Gospel? Look at verse 3. For I delivered to you first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. So some say, well, the, the Gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection. And that's not a problem. I'm not faulting somebody saying that. But when you look at this one word here that's in red, the word how, it changes the whole meaning. It's not just that Christ died, that Christ was buried, and that Christ rose from the dead. It says how that Christ died. How did Christ die? He shed His blood for us. He became sin for us. He died on the cross of Calvary and didn't, didn't uh, drown in the Sea of Galilee. He fulfilled Scripture. The how that Christ died. But when you look at the modern version, that word how is missing. It's no longer there. That's why you have changes like Colossians 1.14. In Colossians 1.14, the Bible says, In whom we have redemption, through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Through His blood, the Bible says. What does the modern version do? It takes the blood out. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You see, the blood's being removed from the Bibles. The blood's being removed from the songbooks. People are saying, No, I don't like to talk about the blood. The blood is disgusting. It's gory. Why is it that we as Christian Bible believers, we look at it and we glory in the blood? When you talk about the blood of Jesus, it's not something that's horrible to us. It's glory. We glory in Christ. We glory in the fact that He shed His blood for our sins. It's a wonderful thing that Christ became sin for us. Why? Because we couldn't pay it ourselves. Had Christ not become sin for us, then we couldn't have the rights of God applied on our behalf. The Bible says it's unto all and upon all them that believe. You see, we're all offered God's righteousness. We cannot stand before a holy and righteous and perfect God without the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Let me digress for a minute and read you something that Martin Luther said about his conversion. He said this, he says, I was indeed a pious monk and kept the rules of my order so strictly that I can say if ever a monk gained heaven through monkery, it should have been me, or should have been I. All my monastic brethren who knew me will testify to this. I would have martyred myself to death with fasting, praying, reading, and other good works had I remained a monk much longer. As a monk, I lived an irreproachable life. Nevertheless, 
I felt that I was a sinner before God. My conscience was, conscience was restless and I could not depend on God being propitiated by my satisfactions. Not only did I not love, but I actually hated the righteous God who punishes sinners. He goes on to say, he says, Do you not know that God dwells in light inaccessible? We weak and ignorant creatures want to probe and understand the incomprehensible majesty of the unfathomable light of the wonder of God. We approach, we prepare ourselves to approach. What wonder then that, that His majesty overpowers us and shatters. He goes on in what he wrote. He says, I, Dr. Martin Luther, the unworthy evangelist of the Lord Jesus Christ, Thus think and thus affirm that this article, namely that faith alone without works justifies us before God, can never be overthrown for Christ alone, the Son of God, died for our sins. But if He alone takes away our sins, then men with all their works are to be excluded from all concurrence to procuring the pardon of sin and justification. Nor can I embrace Christ otherwise than by faith alone. He cannot be apprehended by works, but if faith before works follow apprehends the Redeemer, it is undoubtedly true that faith alone before works and without works appropriates the benefit of redemption, which is no other than justification or deliverance from sin. This is our doctrine, so the Holy Spirit teaches and the whole Christian church in this by the grace of God will we stand fast. Amen. You see... Martin Luther suffered horribly because of salvation by grace, what he taught. He was a monk, but when he got saved, he did not waver on that truth. Justification by faith alone. It's not by works. If it's by works, then we could, we could stand before God in glory in no matter how little a part we had in our salvation, we could glory in that. As we go back, 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, the Bible says, but if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Again, this is a small change. They take the word Christ out. Notice it's the blood of Jesus Christ, the Anointed One. See, it wasn't human blood. It was the blood of God according to Acts 20, 28. And here's what it says in the modern version. If we walk in the light as He is in the light... We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from all sin. You see, they just take Christ out. And they just take it out here and there and here and there. And it makes a difference. Because it's not just the blood of Jesus as a man. It's the blood of Jesus Christ, Christ meaning the Anointed One. 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved is the power of God. Unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. That's why we preach the cross. To the world, this is foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it's the power of God. We couldn't preach anything else. I mean, you get up and you don't preach the cross. You don't preach Jesus Christ. You don't preach the sacrifice on the cross of Calvary. All of your work is just foolishness. But the world looks at it the other way around. It says, no, what you're doing is foolishness. We were here this morning. We're back tonight. That's foolish to the world. But you know what? Sunday ought to be set aside. We ought to have a day set aside to come and worship the Savior. 
Yeah, we ought to worship Him every day, but we ought to be here and say, hey, you know what? There's one day in the week when I need to really hone in and say, I need to, I need to focus in on what Jesus Christ has done for me. Recharge my batteries for the rest of the week. That's what it's about. That's why you need a little charge in the middle of the week, too. NIV says, for the message of the cross, they get rid of preaching. His foolishness to those who are perishing, but in us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Well, I'm not being saved. I am saved. I am not being saved in the sense that this is talking about. I already, I already have what I need. Christ lives in me. I am not trying to somehow reach up and bring heaven down. No, He's, he's already in me and there's no more of Him than I can have than what I already have. As we look at 2 Corinthians 5.21, the Bible says, For He hath made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the rights of God in Him. So we're made the rights of God. You know, when you make something, that's a, that's a work of God. All the earth was made by God. It's God's creation, God's work. You know what that verse says? That we might be made the rights of God in Him. It's a work of God. Modern version, God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us, so in Him we might become the rights of God. It's a process. It's a process. You're becoming righteous. Well, that's not what the Bible says. The moment you realize you're a sinner, the moment you realize that you cannot earn salvation through any works, and you simply turn to Him and you trust in Christ and what He did on the cross of Calvary, you trust Him. The Bible says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The moment you do that, that work of God, He's made you righteous. In the eyes of God, your sin's forgiven. In the eyes of God, He's given you His righteousness. And now when He looks at you, He sees through the cross, through His Son, to us. And if He didn't, none of us would have hope. We couldn't couldn't hope to attain it on our own. We would have no hope if it wasn't for what Christ did for us on the cross of Calvary. In Acts chapter 15, a very interesting thing was going on here. The Gentiles were uh, not having a very effective ministry with the Jews. So this is, the, this is telling about some letter that was written to him. In Acts 15, 19, the Bible says, Wherefore my sentence is, we trouble not them, which from among the Gentiles are turned to God. And this is what they wrote to him. But that we write unto them that they abstain from pollutions of idols, from fornication, from things strangled, and from blood. So in other words, this is, this is uh, the apostles trying to make them more effective to the Jews and says, listen, we need to write them a letter because they've turned to God. They're saved. And we need to write to them so they'll have an effective ministry among the Jews. And they gave these few things to pay attention to. What does the NIV say? You don't tell anybody that looks like they're turning to God how to live for God. That's getting the cart before the horse. You walk up to a door, knock on the door and say, hello, I'm from Victory Baptist Church. By the way, do you quit your smoking, drinking, cussing, carousing? No, you don't do that. Why? Well, they can smoke, cuss, drink, and carouse and stop it all and still go straight to hell. That's not the issue. 
The issue is let me show you in whom you've got to believe. Let me present to you Jesus Christ. And then once you've presented Christ to Him, then you might say, hey, by the way, you know what? If you ever want any help, I'll show you the verses in the Bible where it says how to clean up your life. The Bible says flee fornication. You know what you ought to do? You ought to flee fornication. The Bible says every sin that a man doeth without the body, but he that committed fornication sinneth against his own body. And you tell him that. But you don't tell somebody it's a fornication. They've got to give it all up before Jesus will accept them. You've got to tell them, listen, you've got to trust in Christ. No matter what the sin is, you don't try to get their life cleaned up first. Now, if getting their life cleaned up some, you know, sobers them up enough where they can get saved, that might be one thing. I mean, you, you know, there might be a little bit of that. But you don't tell somebody who, who's turning to God, you've got to do this and do this and do this. That's putting works out there. And it confuses the thing. Second Corinthians 2.15. This is a repeat of the other one, but there's one change to it. The Bible says, We are unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish. So Paul said, we are a sweet savor in them that are saved and in them that perish. Modern version 2.15 says, for we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved, those who are perishing. Again, it's a process. But notice this word up here, we, in the NIV. You know, Paul wrote 2 Corinthians, and he wrote more Scripture, more books of the Bible than anybody else. And this verse says, Paul and the NIV does not know that he's saved. Paul's being saved. I mean, how confusing. How confusing is it? And that's why we have such a hard time trying to lead people to Christ because, listen, this Word doesn't convict. When you read the NIV, it won't convict you like the true Word of God. The true Word of God, when you read it, it'll speak to you. This is a living book. You read this book... I read verses sometimes, and I've read them and read them and read them time and time again. And then one day, that particular verse will speak to me. That's a living book. I can read the NIV all day long, and it, it doesn't speak like that. It doesn't speak like that to me. 2 Timothy 2.12, some will point to this and say, You see, the King James Bible says you can lose your salvation. It says if we suffer, we shall also reign with Him. If we deny Him, He also will deny us. Well, they say, you see, if you suffer, you'll reign. If you deny Him, He'll deny you. They say, see, you can go to hell. If you deny Him, you can go to hell. I mean, that's what people have a hard time with. They'll go to verses like this. Well, that's not what the verse says. It says, if we suffer, we'll reign. If we deny Him by not suffering, He will deny us a reign. We won't be joint heirs with Christ. In Romans chapter 8, let me read it to you. Romans chapter 8, I believe it's uh, verse 16. Romans chapter 8, um, verse 16, The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with Him, that we may be also glorified together. Joint heirs, if so be that we suffer. The Bible says all those that live godly, this is 2.12, 2 Timothy 3.12 says all those that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. So the Bible says if we suffer, if we live godly, we'll suffer. If we suffer for living godly, we'll reign. If we deny Him by not suffering, by not living godly, He will deny us, what? 
a reign which is rightfully ours through Jesus Christ. The modern version says, if we endure, tribulation doctrine, Matthew chapter 24, if we endure, we will also reign with Him. If we disown Him, He also will disown us. That doesn't say the same thing. That says He'll disown you. It doesn't say He'll deny you a reign in context. It flat out says He'll disown you. If you disown somebody, that's, that's like they aren't even in the picture anymore. You've disowned them. Well, then the next, version's, I mean, the next verse is really interesting. In the modern version, verse 13, it says, If we are faithless, He will remain faithful, for He cannot disown Himself. So in one verse it says, if we disown Him, we'll disown us. But in the next verse it says, but if we're faithless, He can't disown Himself, so He can't disown you. But the previous verse said He could. Contradiction right there, one verse right after another. And they're all through the modern version. Remember just looking at one subject on salvation. It goes all the way through. 1 John 4, 2. Hereby know you the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ come in the flesh... Uh, is of God. Every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist, where have you heard that it should come, and even now already is in the world. The Bible talks about confessing. Confessing. That if thou shalt believe in thine heart and confess with thy mouth. See, a confession, a confession takes more than just, just your mind. Well, acknowledging doesn't. You can acknowledge somebody just with your mind. This is what the modern version says, the NIV in 1 John 4, 2. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist which you have heard is coming, even now is already in the world. All you've got to do is acknowledge. That, that makes the difference between confessing and acknowledging. Is that all you have to do is acknowledge Jesus? No. It takes confession. Heartfelt confession. Simply acknowledging that there was a Son of God. Simply acknowledging that He died on the cross. Simply acknowledging those things is not going to get you into heaven. The only thing the only thing that will save you is when you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you've believed in your heart. That's the only thing that will get you there. Matthew 7, 13. And, and the way this presentation is set up was when I had those little booklets. I didn't have the large book yet. So I put this in there on the new King James just to show people that they're all peas in a pod together. So there ye at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. Many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Narrow is the way. It's Jesus Christ. It's a narrow way. It's the broad way leads to destruction. Many there be which go in thereat. But the narrow way is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. 100% trusting in Him and Him alone. Again, the modern version, this time the New King James. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, broad is the way uh, that leads to destruction. There are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate, difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. Again, confusing the issue and making salvation difficult rather than making it uh, what it's supposed to be, and that is plain and simple. 
Um, what I wanted to do was show you some, and I've shown these here before. This is the NIV Teen Study Bible. And on the back here, it has this, and I'll blow it up for you. It says, 20 full-color pages give a Christian perspective on contemporary issues. And in here, you have 20 pages that look like this. And I'm going to go over four of them. The first one is church. And if you'll see the question mark there, I'll blow it up for you. It says, Presbyterian, Baptist, Pentecostal, Methodist, Lutheran, Church of Christ, Catholic, Assembly of God. Why are there so many different churches? While we're at it, why so many athletic shoes, Adidas, Converse, Nike? Is one of them wrong or is it just a matter of preference? So you tell people, look, it's just a matter of preference. You could, you could go to a Pentecostal, Methodist, Lutheran, Church of Christ, Catholic, Assembly of God, Baptist. It's just a matter of preference. There's no difference. We're all the same. That's not the truth. There's some that teach salvation by grace and there's some that don't. And that's the key issue. If they don't teach salvation by grace, then we've got to warn people that, that that's a heresy. That's, that's false. That's wrong. That's condemning. If they teach salvation by works, which some of those in this group do, then we need to say, no, we can't stand hand in hand with them. We can't act like there's no differences between us. And we've got to try to actively minister to those other groups if they're not saved. That doesn't mean that all those in that other group, none of them are saved. They are saved. There's, there's, there's some of them that get saved and they end up staying in the religion, even though it's wrong. Church, notice up here in the blue, it says alternate definition. Alternate definition for church, what you have to get dressed up for so you can be bored for an hour at a morning service. That's what it says about, you know, church. Why? Because it's a teen study Bible. They want, you know, they want to be in. Uh, that's the worst thing you can have. I mean, you, you know, you want to deal with the youth. You don't try to be like them and say, well, you know, I want to, I want to come down and groove with you. I want, I want to be right there with you and just be like, no, listen. There's a, there's a difference there. And, and you, and you got to make sure it's understood. There's a line you don't cross. Well, see, they don't care about the line. All they want to do is say, hey, you tell all your friends about this thing. We're cool. We're just like you. We're, we, we think, yeah, you get bored, yeah, that's cool to talk about it. No, if you get bored, sit there anyway. You know? It'll do you good. It'll do you good. Why? Because the Word of God's being given. If the Word of God's being given, you know, hey, you might get something in spite of yourself. You know? The Bible says guilt. Guilt. Alternate definition. Feeling like you're to blame when you didn't do anything wrong. <laughs> no. Hey, let me tell you something. If you feel guilt and conviction, it might just be because you've done something wrong. You know, we don't need this PC stuff, political correct. You know, where you know you just you shouldn't talk to that child that way. You shouldn't make them feel bad. They might you might hurt their feelings. You might you might destroy their self-esteem. You know, I hadn't seen the problem with self-esteem as much as I have. You know, little one getting knocked down a notch or two, or needing it anyway. Guilt. Witnessing. You want your kids to witness, right? You want to encourage them to witness. Let's go out soul winning. And by the way, it, it's been a joy going out on Wednesday night with Brother Joey and the youth. Sometimes there's a huge crowd there. Sometimes it's not. But, you know, it's, it's great. I told you the story about some of the, the younger ones going up to the door, knocking on the door and speaking. And, 
you know, just the people were just beside themselves. They just loved it. They loved to see that the youth were involved in the church. Witnessing. You want your kids to go out on visitation, right? A way to get friends to laugh at you by telling them about God. Hey, maybe they will laugh at you. But you don't sit there and put this in a book and say, look, I, yeah, we just want to, we want to get on the same level here. How about this one? Well, I'd like to burn the books with that. Own a definition for sex. Another fun thing mean adults tell teenagers to keep away from. Boy, that's, you know, that's good. Now this was added later on. Well, actually there's this joke first. We have the online Bible, the Franklin Electronic Bible, the Pentium Bible, the Video Bible, the LaserDisc Bible, the CD-ROM Bible. King James, never heard of it. That's where it's getting. When you go into a bookstore, notice that's the Gothi Bible and books there. It's getting to the point where when you go in there, King James, never heard of it. Never heard of it. I added this later on. I was in a service, and actually it's where we videotaped that evening at Franklin Road uh, Baptist Church up in Murfreesboro, and the preacher made a, made a reference to Calvary. And this was the quote that he made. The sting of death is gone because of Calvary. And I added it in that night, and it actually is on the videotape of the salvation verses. And uh, he said, the sting of death is gone because of Calvary. He was talking about a beast thing, and, you know, he, and he, was, he, was, he was likening that to the sting of death, and he made this point. And I told him, I said, you know, I was under real conviction because my book, my little booklet didn't have the verse on Calvary in it to show the comparison, so I added it that night. Luke 23:33 in the King James Bible says this, And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified Him. And the male factors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. The other on the left. Notice that's Calvary. That's the only time Calvary is found in, uh, in the King James Bible. The only time, one time in there. The modern version says this. It says, When they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him along with the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. You realize when they take Calvary out of Luke 23, 33, no longer, no longer does it, uh, does it show up in the modern version. Can you imagine singing about at Calvary? The song at Calvary. And it's not even in the modern version. There will be generations to come, should the Lord tarry, that will not even know what Calvary is because they're going to get that far away. Each generation gets further and further away from the King James Bible. There will always be a remnant. There will always be a remnant. But the thing is, as time progresses, you'll be able to go to people and talk to them about Calvary and it will be, what's that? What's that? Jesus died on Calvary. Here's a, um, I think it's a song. It says, Should I at the gates of heaven appear to answer the challenge, what claim hast thou here? What hast thou to offer? Yea, what is thy plea with blessed assurance my answer would be? Of all earthly treasures, nothing I've brought, no great deeds of merit have I ever wrought. Though vile and unworthy as mortal could be, I've nothing to offer, but this is my plea. My sins, they are many. My virtues are few. The blood of my Savior will carry me through. When Christ in my place died on Calvary's tree, hallelujah, that opened God's heaven to me. And that's what I see as Calvary. 
It's the place where the Son of God died. There should be nothing that gets our focus off of Jesus Christ. If you don't have a burning desire in your heart to serve and love the Savior, there's something wrong. There's something wrong with you spiritually. And it's only one of two things. If you're already a Christian, the problem is you've gotten cold and complacent. And if you're not a Christian, that can be solved just like that. You get on your knees before the Savior and you say, Lord, I know I'm a, I know I'm a sinner. I know You died on the cross. You shed Your blood for me. Me, because I'm a sinner. And you ask Him, you say, Lord, I need You to save me and I need You to save me right now. And you know what? Before you get off your knees, you'll be a child of God. Before you get up, He'll come into you and wash you clean. The Bible says we're washed by His blood. Can you imagine blood washing something? But we're not talking about the blood of man. We're talking about the blood of Almighty God. The sinless Savior that sacrificed Himself on Calvary's tree for us so that we wouldn't have to go to a devil's hell. But we do have to make that decision. It's a decision I made 24 years ago and I, I've never regretted it. One day I'll meet my Savior face to face and I'll know that He's the one that enabled me to come into that place. All Him. 100%. None of it is me. None of it can be used. If you are interested in these or similar materials, you can contact us at www.mcowanmills.com. That is M-C-C-O-W-E-N-M-I-L-L-S dot com or through the mail at P.O. Box 1611, Millbrook, Alabama 36054 or by calling 334-285-6650. Orders can be placed online or by calling toll-free at 1-866-344-1611.